Book Three, Chapter Thirty One of Amelia, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Malone. Amelia by Henry Fielding. In which Mr. Booth concludes his story. The next day the doctor set out for his parsonage, which was about thirty miles distant, whither Amelia and myself accompanied him, and where we stayed with him all the time of his residence there, being almost three months. The situation of the parish under my good friend's care is very pleasant. It is placed among meadows, washed by a clear trout stream, and flanked on both sides with downs. His house, indeed, would not much attract the admiration of the virtuoso. He built it himself, and it is remarkable only for its plainness, with which the furniture so well agrees that there is no one thing in it that may not be absolutely necessary, except books and the prince of Mr. Hogarth, whom he calls a moral satirist. Nothing, however, can be imagined more agreeable than the life that the doctor leads in this homely house, which he calls his earthly paradise. All his parishioners, whom he treats as his children, regard him as their common father. Once in a week he constantly visits every house in the parish, examines, commends, and rebukes as he finds occasion. This is practiced likewise by his curate in his absence, and so good an effect is produced by their care that no quarrels ever proceed either to blows or lawsuits, no beggar is to be found in the whole parish, nor did I ever hear a very profane oath all the time I lived in it. But to return from so agreeable a digression, to my own affairs that are much less worth your attention, in the midst of all the pleasures I tasted in this sweet place, and in the most delightful company, the woman and man whom I loved above all things, melancholy reflections concerning my unhappy circumstances, would often steal into my thoughts. My fortune was now reduced to less than forty pounds a year. I had already two children, and my dear Amelia was again with child. One day the doctor found me sitting by myself and employed in melancholy contemplations on this subject. He told me he had observed me growing of late very serious, that he knew the occasion, and neither wondered at nor blamed me. He then asked me if I had any prospect of going again into the army, if not, what schemes of life I proposed to myself. I told him that, as I had no powerful friends, I could have but little expectations in a military way, that I was as incapable of thinking of any other scheme as all business required some knowledge or experience, and likewise money to set up with of all which I was destitute. "'You must know, then, child,' said the doctor, "'that I have been thinking on this subject as well as you, 
for I can think, I promise you, with a pleasant countenance. These were his words. As to the army, perhaps means might be found of getting you another commission, but my daughter seems to have a violent objection to it. And to be plain, I fancy you yourself will find no glory make you amends for your absence from her. And for my part, said he, I never think those men wise who, for any worldly interest, forego the greatest happiness of their lives. If I mistake not, says he, in a country life, where you could be always together, would make you both much happier people. I answered that, of all things, I preferred it most, and I believed Amelia was of the same opinion. The doctor, after a little hesitation, proposed to me to turn farmer, and offered to let me his parsonage, which was then become vacant. He said it was a farm which required but little stock, and that little should not be wanting. I embraced this offer very eagerly, and with great thankfulness, and immediately repaired to Amelia to communicate it to her, and to know her sentiments. Amelia received the news with the highest transports of joy. She said that her greatest fear had always been of my entering again into the army. She was so kind as to say that of all stations of life were equal to her, unless as one afforded her more of my company than another. And as to our children, said she, let us breed them up to an humble fortune, and they will be contented with it. For none, added my angel, deserve happiness, or indeed are capable of it, who make any particular station a necessary ingredient. Thus, madam, you see me degraded from my former rank in life, no longer Captain Booth, but Farmer Booth at your service. During my first year's continuance in this new scene of life, nothing, I think, remarkable happened. The history of one day would indeed be the history of the whole year. Well, pray then, said Miss Matthews, do let us hear the history of that day. I have a strange curiosity to know how you could kill your time, and do, if possible, find out the very best day you can. If you command me, madam, answered Booth, you must yourself be accountable for the dullness of the narrative. Nay, I believe, you have imposed a very difficult task on me, for the greatest happiness is incapable of description. I rose then, madam. Oh, the moment you waked, undoubtedly, said Miss Matthews. Usually, said he, between five and six. I will have no usually, cried Miss Matthews. You are confined to a day, and it is to be the best and happiest in the year. Nay, madam, cries Booth, then I must tell you the day in which Amelia was brought to bed, after a painful and dangerous labor, for that I think was the happiest day of my life. I protest, should see, you are become former Booth, indeed. What a happiness have you painted to my imagination! You put me in mind of a newspaper, where my lady such a one is delivered of a son, to the great joy of some illustrious family. 
why then i do assure you miss matthews cries booth i scarce know a circumstance that distinguished one day from another the whole was one continued series of love health and tranquillity our lives resembled a calm sea the dullest of all ideas cries the lady i know said he it must appear dull in description for who can describe the pleasures which the morning air gives to one in perfect health the flow of spirits which springs up from exercise the delights which parents feel from the prattle and innocent follies of their children the joy with which the tender smile of a wife inspires a husband or lastly the cheerful solid comfort which a fond couple enjoy in each other's conversation all these pleasures and every other of which our situation was capable we tasted in the highest degree our happiness was perhaps too great for fortune seemed to grow envious of it and interposed one of the most cruel accidents that could have befallen us by robbing us of our dear friend the doctor i am sorry for it said miss matthews he was indeed a valuable man and i never heard of his death before long may it be before any one hears of it cries booth he is indeed dead to us but will i hope enjoy many happy years of life you know madam the obligations he had to his patron the earl indeed it was impossible to be once in his company without hearing of them i am sure you will neither wonder that he was chosen to attend the young lord in his travels as his tutor nor that the good man however disagreeable it might be as in fact it was to his inclination should comply with the earnest request of his friend and patron by this means i was bereft not only of the best companion in the world but of the best counsellor a loss of which i have since felt the bitter consequence for no greater advantage i am convinced can arrive to a young man who hath any degree of understanding than an intimate converse with one of the riper years who is not only able to advise but who knows the manner of advising by this means alone youth can enjoy the benefit of the experience of age and that at a time of life when such experience will be of more service to a man than when he hath lived long enough to acquire it of himself from want of my sage counsellor i now fell into many errors the first of these was in enlarging my business by adding a farm of one hundred a year to the parsonage in renting which i had also as bad a bargain as the doctor had before given me a good one the consequence of which was that whereas at the end of the first year i was worth upwards of fourscore pounds at the end of the second i was near half that sum worse as the phrase is than nothing a second folly i was guilty of in uniting families with the curate of the parish who had just married as my wife and i thought a very good sort of a woman 
We had not, however, lived one month together before I plainly perceived this good sort of a woman had taken a great prejudice against my Amelia, for which, if I had not known something of the human passions, and that high place which envy holds among them, I should not have been able to account, for so far was my angel from having given her any cause of dislike, that she had treated her not only with civility, but kindness. Besides superiority in beauty, which I believe all the world would have allowed to Amelia, there was another cause of this envy, which I am almost ashamed to mention, as it may well be called my greatest folly. You are to know then, madam, that from a boy I had been always fond of driving a coach, in which I valued myself on having some skill. This, perhaps, was an innocent, but I allow it to have been a childish vanity. As I had an opportunity, therefore, of buying an old coach and harness very cheap, indeed they cost me but twelve pounds, and as I considered that the same horses which drew my wagons would likewise draw my coach, I resolved on indulging myself in the purchase. The consequence of setting up this poor old coach is inconceivable. Before this, as my wife and myself had very little distinguished ourselves from the other farmers and their wives, either in our dress or our way of living, they treated us as their equals. But now they began to consider us as elevating ourselves into a state of superiority, and immediately began to envy, hate, and declare war against us. The neighboring little squares, too, were uneasy to see a poor renter become their equal in a matter in which they placed so much dignity, and, not doubting but it arose in me from the same ostentation, they began to hate me likewise, and to turn my equipage into ridicule, asserting that my horses, which were as well matched as any in the kingdom, were of different colors and sizes with much more of that kind of wit, the only basis of which is lying. But what will appear most surprising to you, madam, was that the curate's wife, who, being lame, had more use of the coach than my Amelia, indeed she seldom went to church in any other manner, was one of my bitterest enemies on the occasion. If she had ever any dispute with Amelia, which all the sweetness of my poor girl could not sometimes avoid, she was sure to introduce with a malicious sneer, though my husband doth not keep a coach, madam. Nay, she took this opportunity to upbraid my wife with the loss of her fortune, alleging that some folks might have had as great pretensions to a coach as other folks, and a better, too as they brought a better fortune to their husbands, but that all people had not the art of making brick without straw. You will wonder, perhaps, madam, how I can remember such stuff, which indeed was a long time only matter of amusement to both Amelia and myself. But we at last experienced the mischievous nature of envy and that it tends rather to produce tragical than comical events. 
my neighbors now began to conspire against me. They nicknamed me in derision the Squire Farmer. Whatever I bought, I was sure to buy dearer, and when I sold I was obliged to sell cheaper than any other. In fact, they were all united, and whilst they every day committed trespasses on my lands with impunity, if any of my cattle escaped into their fields, I was either forced to enter into a lawsuit, or to make amends fourfold for the damage sustained. The consequences of all this could be no other than that ruin which ensued. Without tiring you with particulars, before the end of four years I became involved in debt near three hundred pounds more than the value of all my effects. My landlord seized my stock for rent, and to avoid immediate confinement in prison, I was forced to leave the country with all that I hold dear in the world, my wife and my poor little family. In this condition I arrived in town five or six days ago. I had just taken a lodging in the verge of the court, and had writ my dear Amelia word where she might find me, when she had settled her affairs in the best manner she could. That very evening, as I was returning home from a coffee-house, a fray happening in the street, I endeavoured to assist the injured party, when I was seized by the watch, and, after being confined all night in the round-house, was conveyed in the morning before a justice of peace, who committed me hither, where I should probably have starved, had I not from your hands found a most unaccountable preservation. And here, give me leave to assure you, my dear Miss Matthews, that, whatever advantage I may have reaped from your misfortune, I sincerely lament it, nor would I have purchased any relief to myself at the price of seeing you in this dreadful place. He spake these last words with a great tenderness, for he was a man of consummate good nature, and had formerly had much affection for this young lady, indeed more than the generality of people are capable of entertaining for any person whatsoever. End of Book 3, Chapter 12 Reading by Malone